You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. is a treasure. We know that we've been given it as a gift from God. It's been passed down through the generations and generations in His Word. We've been given this Word for something through His Holy Spirit. And Worsby again says this, this is why the church must engage in a teaching ministry so that each new generation of believers will know, appreciate, and use the great heritage and faith that is given to us by God Himself. That's what we're talking about. Today, Pastor Dave takes you deep into the roots of your faith by uncovering the spiritual riches hidden within this powerful biblical passage. Discover how to manage the clashes between darkness and divine light, discovering insights on how faith brings unyielding truth. Prepare to be moved and transformed. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 13 as he begins his message, Your Choice, Victory or Casualty. Turn into your Bibles to Acts 13. We're going to begin in verse 5, and we're going to read through 5 through 13. I'll read aloud if you want to read along silently, please. Verse 5, And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And in, now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Patpos, they came to Persia in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Well, today's message is entitled, Your Choice, Victory or Casualty. I'd like to begin this morning by reading the opening lines of R. Kent Hughes' commentary on Acts 13. It's found in a book that he wrote called Church of Fire. Quote, we are all familiar with Murphy's, Murphy's Law. Number one, nothing is as easy as it looks. Number two, everything takes longer than you think. And number three, if anything can go wrong, it will. You all are familiar with Murphy. Whoever you are, the rich, the old, the pious, the not so pious, you will encounter hardships. The only times troubles will cease is when you're in your grave. And then if you're not a believer, troubles are just beginning. Let me take this a step further, he says. 
Life is continually difficult for a Christian. Accept Christ and everything will be fine sounds good, but simply is not biblical truth. We have all met fine Christians who are going through tough times. Some are battling disease, some gut-wrenching family problems, other financial strikes. Accepting Christ is no guarantee against calamity. He continues, no matter what your involvement in Christian activity or ministry, you will be subject to difficulties and trials. Friends will sometimes forsake you. Families will fail you. Heartache will be a regular part of your life. In fact, dedication to Christ often brings us face-to-face with more problems than we live for ourselves. If some of the great Christians in the history of the church had aimed lower, they would have not experienced such an incredible variety of sorrows and would not have been used mightily by God. And he ends with this. How we view the war makes vast difference in our conduct and even our longevity. Just as it did with Paul, the great missionary general, and John Mark, the first missionary casualty. Today's message is entitled, as I say, Your Choice, Victory or Casualty. Have you ever heard this saying, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battlefield? Let me repeat that. The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battlefield. If the Christian life is indeed a battlefield, that then makes us who proclaim to be Christians, what? Soldiers, right? In the dictionary, a soldier is defined as someone who works for a cause, someone who defends against a cause or defends a cause. Now, since there's no draft these days, the only way you can get into our army in the United States is to enlist. You've got to decide that you're going to go into the military, you go down to the recruiting station, and you sign up, and someone's there to receive all your information, and they sign you up, and they basically swear you in, and you are enlisted into our military service. Paul told his young pastor Timothy in in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who has enlisted us? Who is our enlister? None other than Jesus Christ. He has enlisted us into his army. And if you now are a Christian, if you profess Christ as your Savior and you've accepted the sacrifice of sin on the cross by Jesus Christ, you are now in the army of the Lord. Congratulations. Congratulations, soldier. You're in the army. So if we're Christians and we're soldiers and soldiers are in defense of something, what are we defending? Just what are we defending? Well, in Paul's first chapter to the letter of the Philippians, he exhorts the Philippian believers as Christians to be in defense of their faith, to be defense of the gospel. Wearsby said this about that. Faith of the gospel is that divine body of truth given to the church. The faith of the gospel, the defense of the gospel is that divine body that has been given to us. And Jude, when he wrote his epistle in Jude 1, 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all the saints. Jude says, contend earnestly earnestly for the faith. And you look up the word earnestly, it means zealous. It means eager. It means with real desire. We're to defend the faith in that era, in that way. 
with zealousy. We're supposed to be zealous for our faith and defend it. See, our faith is a treasure. Our faith is a treasure. We know that we've been given it as a gift from God. It's been passed down through the generations and generations in his word. We've been given this word for something through his Holy Spirit. And Worsby again says this, this is why the church must engage in a teaching ministry so that each new generation of believers will know, appreciate, and use the great heritage of faith that is given to us by God himself. That's what we're talking about. But if we are defenders of this faith, whom are we defending it from? If we're defending this faith, who are we standing against? Trust me on this, folks. I know from where I come and what I'm speaking of, there's an enemy out there. There's an enemy out there just waiting and watching. He's wanting to steal this treasure of your faith away from you. Oh, he might not be able to touch your salvation, but he'd sure like to get his hands on your joy. He'd sure like to get his hands on your peace. He'd sure like to get his hands and tarnish up that testimony you've been polishing up for so long. He'd sure love to have you have to stand before somebody someday and have them go, and you call yourself a Christian. Oh, that would be his glory. We looked last week at John 10.10, and it says, the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking may whom he can devour. I had this conversation with Frank just uh, last week. You ever go to Animal Planet? Every once in a while, I like to watch the Animal Planets, but I, I don't watch it a lot, but I watch the Animal Planets. You ever see the lion? Or the lion, actually it's the lioness. She's the one that hunts. She's sitting up there on the little hill watching and all these herds of animals are running by and she's just sitting there and they're all just running by. All of a sudden she looks and there's one going, he's limping. And she stands up and falls a little bit behind the herd. Next thing you know, that's the one she's going after or the real little tiny one, the new one, the newborn. So our adversary is like a lion. So he comes in and looking around, looking around and goes, up. Oh, this one's having trouble in their faith. Oh, boy. And they start looking at you. Oh, that one has a limp. Oh, boy. That's the one I'm going to go after. And they start trying to pick you off one at a time. They're trying to go after you. And that's what happens. He's walking around like a roaring lion, seeing whom he can devour. So believe me when I say to you that there's an enemy out there watching and waiting for you. So we are soldiers in a battle. But no army or group of soldiers advances with battle without weapons. We have weapons as Christians. We are armed with weapons as Christians. Now, Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, that our weapons of warfare are not flesh, or they're not carnal. We don't have guns and arrows and knives and those kind of things. We use weapons, spiritual weapons, like the Word of God, prayer, worship, is a great weapon against the evil one. If you're having a rough time, if you're being hammered and you're having a rough time, put some worship music on and start praising the Lord. I can guarantee things are going to be a lot different and your mind is going to be a lot different. These weapons are not of the flesh. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, talks about the word like this. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, and a discerner of thoughts, and the intents of the heart. Remember, what did Jesus use when he was in the wilderness? What, was, what did Jesus use to defeat the devil when he was being tempted in the wilderness? He used the word of God. He quoted from the word of God when he was coming against the devil. 
The battle that we fight is not of the flesh. It is a spiritual battle. Paul calls it a wrestling match. Paul calls it a wrestling match in Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. To use these weapons, the word of God, prayer, and worship, we must be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We must be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit when we're ready to do battle. The Holy Spirit is our empowering strength. That is where we get our strength to stand up. Do you ever see an army on the move? Or maybe you've seen a war movie or a war film, how the soldiers advance. You ever notice this? I've been noticing this lately. I, I like war films. I, I've been noticing this lately. When soldiers move, when they move into attack, they move at a very fluid, synchronized, almost choreographed way. I mean, one of them gets up and looks out, then they'll send two this way, then they'll send two that way, and then two more will jump. And everything's choreographed. Everything has a a precision to it and precise motion. Each movement is precise, and they move together as a unit. They move together as one. They don't just all charge at every which way. They don't haphazardly run around by themselves, but they move toward their goals with one purpose. And the purpose that the military has when they go to war is simply this, defeat and destroy the enemy. That's what a military does. This is how the army of the Lord moves. We move as a unit. We move in unity as one. And the goal is no less than that of any other military. Our goal is complete destruction and defeat of the enemy. But as in all wars, there are victories and there are casualties. We know that Christ has won the final victory. He's won the war. We know that the war has been won by Jesus Christ. You've read the book. We win. Woohoo! We win. Period. But from time to time, we get in these little battles, we get in these little skirmishes that come along in our lives. But these battles, as I said earlier, they're intended for the purpose of stealing your joy, of tarnishing your testimony, of taking that peace that you have so that you won't be a light to someone else that they will look at you and go, oh, gee, they're a lemon-sucking Christian. Why would I want to be like that? Why would I want to be like them? Because they're always miserable and they have Christ. I don't want to be a part of that group. This is what Satan wants to do. But in our Christian walk, we can choose to walk in victory or we can choose to be a casualty of the war. Remember, it's how we view the war that makes the difference. In today's study, study, This view will mean the difference between victory, salvation, and a casualty. Someone leaves the mission field. A casualty. Taking you back a little bit, as we concluded Acts 12, we saw Barnabas and Saul return from Jerusalem to Antioch. They had successfully delivered the relief gift that the church of Antioch sent with them to help those in need in the Jerusalem church. Accompanying them... Barnabas and Saul was a young man. His name was John Mark. And we find out in Colossians 4, verse 10, he's none other than Barnabas' cousin. So family. We left off in 1225, and it says, Then Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled their ministry, they took also with them John, whose surname is Mark. Most scholars believe that chapter 13 of the book of Acts is the beginning of one of the greatest periods of the new church. It's one of the greatest movements and possibly also one of the greatest battles that has ever taken place 
in the history of mankind, and that battle continues today. It's a battle for souls. It's a battle for souls. Some of you have been on the front lines of that battle for a long time. Got the scars to prove it. It's a battle for souls. So what happens is that these people, John, Mark, Saul, Barnabas, and the church of Antioch, they all gather together. There were prophets and there was teachers, and they're about to hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to separate a couple of them and send them out on the mission field, send them out to the battlefield. They were going to send them into battle. Again, the battle was for souls. The weapons included the preaching of the gospel, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Who were the recipients of this message? The entire world. The rest of the entire modern world was now going to receive this message starting with a handful of men. So these men were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. When you're a soldier and you become an officer, you get commissioned. You get actually commissioned. You get a letter of commission that says you are now an officer and you're allowed to lead people. Well, these guys were commissioned. They were commissioned by God. They were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. These three men, Barnabas, Saul, and young John Mark, left the comforts of Antioch, and they set forth, in verse 13 too, it says, to do the work that the Holy Spirit had called them to do. They set forth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, sent by the Holy Spirit, looking to see where the Holy Spirit would lead them. They were on their way. First missionary journey now is set in motion. The history of the world is relying and resting on this missionary journey. What's going to happen to these guys? Their first stop is Cyprus. It says in 13.4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Many, many think that the only reason they stopped in Cyprus and why they went to Cyprus first it's because in Acts 4, verse 36, we found out that this was Barnabas' home. They went to Barnabas' hometown. What a great place to start. A lot of us, when we're saved, we go back to our hometown, and that was our first missionary spot. And we want to tell people, your hometown, when you're saved, might be where you work. You want to go and start telling people at work what happened to you, the change in your life. They'll see it sooner or later. But they go to Cyprus. They go to Cyprus. Cyprus, Cyprus is a paradise island. Cyprus is a beautiful, wonderful place down there, and and they go to this place, and I'm sure these missionaries are sitting around going, this is great. This is wonderful. We're in a paradise. I mean, after all, when you pray to be sent out as a missionary, are you praying, Lord, I want to be a missionary for you. Send me to Hawaii. Maybe that's what you're praying. Yeah, send me to Hawaii. Everybody wants to go out where there's wonderful places and wonderful times. Well, they landed on Cyprus. So they got there, and things were good. Things were great. It says in verse 5, it says, When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. Things were good. They were approximately 130 miles from home. 130 miles is what they traveled, and it was easy travel, and they began proclaiming the gospel. They went into the synagogues, and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. This would become Saul's trademark. If you read, when we get in the book of Acts, you'll see that every place he goes, the first place he goes is into the synagogue to teach the Jews. It's the first place he always seems to go. But this is great. They preach the gospel. They're being sent by the Holy Spirit. They're God's ambassador. They're trusting in the Lord for victory. The small army is on the move, and they're going there. They're talking about the Lord. The weapons are aimed to those who are without hope, those without Christ. We want to preach the word of God. As an aside, we see the Holy Spirit calling people into service again, equipping them and leading them into battle. 
These men followed in obedience to the call of the willingness, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they went wherever he led. And we're going to read it in the book of Acts now. From now on, every time the Holy Spirit said, go here, they went there. The Holy Spirit said, don't go there. They didn't go there. They followed the Holy Spirit every time they moved. This is great models of willingness to serve, great models that we have for us when we look at this. Their hearts were open to whatever the Lord wanted to do. If you're being called today by God to go someplace, I tell you right now, trust in him and go. I'm telling you right now, trust in him and move. Make that move. Make that step. You must follow his lead. My only request is, make sure it's God. Make sure it's the Lord. So they're in Cyprus, the happy place. Palm trees are swaying. They're all, in, they're all in Cyprus. Everything was great. Everything was going well with the new missionaries. This was evil, easy. They traveled with the people. They talked about Christ. And then they started to move away from Cyprus. They started to move away from this wonderful place. They traveled about 90 more miles, and the further and further away they got from the comfort of Antioch, the spiritual war starts to heat up. Things become more difficult. Now, I'm sure after a time, you know, of walking, because that's all they did, they walked everywhere. I'm sure they were tired. I'm sure they were exhausted from the walking. I'm sure that the accommodations weren't as grand as they were in Antioch or even in the uh, town of uh, Salamis. I'm sure they were getting tired. As one commentator put it, the romance of the trip soon faded. That happens. This can easily happen on a mission trip. Easily happen on a mission trip. I'll never forget. A group of us, there was what? There's five or six of us, seven of us down in New Orleans after Katrina. And you know, there's the excitement of going. You're all like, wow, this is great. You're going to get there. You're going to minister to the people about Christ. You're going to get there. And you can't wait to get there. You get there. You're tired from the airplane, but you don't care. You get up the next morning and you worship the Lord and you have some devotions. You pray and boom, you hit the streets. And you're ministering to people left and right. And you're talking about the Lord. You're comforting people. You're crying with them. You're ministering to them. Some accept the Lord. All wonderful things are happening. But man, I'll tell you what. That was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Come about Thursday, you're like, you are drained. You're physically, emotionally drained. You're spiritually depleted. That's when he strikes. That's when he goes, oh, boy, I got you now. Even when we were in New Orleans, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we had such great, wonderful success. We had all kinds of success. It was beautiful. It was glorious. The Lord was being glorified. People were getting saved in our midst. We were talking to people, helping people. We were doing all kinds of things. Thursday morning, we went to a Walmart that had been absolutely destroyed by the hurricane flood, and there was this huge, huge FEMA center set up there. There were, must have been tens of thousands of people there to receive food and goods and water and ice, all kinds of things, and we were helping them out. We had a great big sign that said, we have hope. And people would walk by, and we would give them things, and we would talk to them. And this one guy walked by, and, and he just started talking to me. I said, I don't know. I said, I, the Lord's just really put, put it upon my heart. Would you like to receive Christ today? And he went, you know what? I guess I should. I prayed with the guy right there, and he received, he received Christ right in front of me. I'm like, this is great. Two minutes later, he disappears. And two minutes later, the backpack that I had been, had with my cell phone, with all my belongings and everything like that, is gone. You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. 
If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Assure Hope.